Okay. Let me cut into your conversations. Um, my name is John T, and it's a joy to welcome you. It's a joy to turn to God's Word together. And we're going to turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 21. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's page 1171. It'll be on the screen, or you can find it on your phone. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 21. Let's hear God's word. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women stand represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, break forth and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Why don't we ask for God's help? Let's pray, and then we'll dive into this together. Father, please help us. We pray that you'd really wake us up to understand what you want us to understand, that we'd hear what your spirit is saying to us today from this passage of your word. Lord, please teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just before we get into the details of this passage, I want to pick up on a couple of things just to kind of fill stuff out. And particularly if you haven't been around that much for Galatians, hopefully this will fill in some of the, the backstory for you. One of the interesting things about Galatians is that it is a very, very emotional letter. There is an intensity in the way that Paul, the man who wrote Galatians, writes. He speaks more passionately, more urgently, more strongly than in any of his other letters. He is clearly very, very passionate. So he is astonished with them. He says, you foolish Galatians. He says, I long for you. Like a mother longs for her child. I, I'm desperate. And we've got to ask ourselves, why? Why does Paul feel so passionately as he writes this letter? And actually, what we'll see, and although it's not obvious in our passage, this is possibly the most strong bit of the whole letter. When if we could hear it like the first hearers would have heard it, we would feel the 
shock and the offense and the power of what Paul is saying. And you might be tempted to think, why is Paul so upset about this? What's, what's got to him? Why is he so strong? Well, it's because Paul can see that what is happening in this church, in the churches in Galatia, is not just a small little issue. It threatens the very heart of the gospel itself. That is this message that Paul loves, this message that Paul preaches, the whole thing is threatened and endangered by what's happening in this church. And so Paul writes to them with this passionate urgency to say, what are you doing? And this is how I want us to... um, to think about. Well, let me try and fill in the whole story, right? Let's, let's go through the whole of everything we've done in Galatians very quickly. The main thing we've seen, this is a picture, right, of the whole of that's sort of where we've got to, roughly. And what we've seen is at the heart of it is there is this one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has been raised from the dead to rule, the one who died to rescue us from our sins from this present evil age. It's all about Christ, this one gospel. But the trouble is that the church is now turning to another gospel, which is no gospel at all. They're deserting the one gospel, turning to no gospel. And the problem with the no gospel is that it's not come from God, it's come from man. And so Paul says that his gospel, we've gone too far, Paul says that his gospel has come straight from Jesus, Christ. The one gospel comes from Christ. There he is. It's received by revelation. Paul didn't make it up. It's not a human thing. This gospel that Paul is so passionate about, he's passionate because it comes from Jesus. And so to turn to no gospel is to turn away from the one message that comes from Christ. And then we saw this tragedy that actually it's Peter who has begun to turn from the one gospel to the next true God, to no gospel. The apostle Peter himself started to pull back from the Gentiles, this one gospel which unites Jew and Gentile, that unites all of humanity. Now Peter is beginning to desert it and run to the no gospel. Okay, so what is the difference between the gospel and the no gospel? Well, the difference is this question of righteousness. That is, who gets to call themselves God's people? Who is included in God's family? Who are the people of God? The no gospel say that the way to be righteous, the way to be included is by the works of the law. Essentially, by becoming Jewish by adopting the Jewish customs, particularly of circumcision, that that was the way to be righteous. Paul says, no, that is not the way to be righteous. The way to be righteous is only through faith in Christ. And so what boundaries the righteous is faith in Christ. That's what makes the difference between righteous and sinners. And then what we saw following on from that is that the reason this matters so much is because the one gospel results in blessing, but the no gospel will lead you to curse. Cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in the law. If you're going to seek to be righteous by the works of the law, you will be under a curse. 
But instead, in the one gospel, Christ came to take the curse, to be the curse, to redeem us from the curse so that we might inherit the blessing promised to Abraham. Don't worry if you're not getting all of this, it's fine. Just filling it in. And so we then began to dive into the story of Abraham and we saw that, there it is, the story, the one gospel, you trace it back all the way to Abraham. The great promises that God made to Abraham and the promises that were fulfilled in Christ. That's the gospel, promised to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ. There's the gospel. But what the no gospel says is, yes, it starts with Abraham, but actually it's about Moses and the law. And so this no gospel puts the law at the center of what matters, the law at the center of our identity. And Paul says that is not the way. Because the law was given only for a short time. And the law put God's people under slavery. And so whether you were a Jew under the slavery of the law, or whether you are a Gentile under the slavery of the first principles, the elemental spiritual forces, you were enslaved. Then Christ came and he redeemed you. And he made you into God's child. And so Paul says, why are you turning back? Why would you turn Back to slavery. Don't go there. That's what we saw last week. That's roughly where we got to. That's sort of some of the themes that have been going on. But now we're coming to chapter 4. And here's why I think Paul really cares. Because Paul's... and I, 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 Let me just try and unpack this for you before we dive into it so you can see this. Paul's vision an understanding of the gospel that he's received from Jesus Christ is so massive that he doesn't want anyone to restrict it. Okay, imagine you're um, driving along on a motorway and it's a three-lane motorway. And then suddenly you see one of those signs above that says that this outer lane is closed. So you all get kind of funneled into two lanes. And then it says, actually, the next lane's closed too, and then you get funneled down to one lane. And then that lane's closed. You've got to go into the hard shoulder. Right? You know what happens. As the traffic drives, here's this glorious traffic driving along, and it gets funneled, and it just comes to a standstill as it gets more and more restricted into this narrow little path. Okay, now picture the scene. You're driving along a single-lane road, and it's a little bit heavy, the traffic, really. But as you come, it comes to dual carriageway. Woo and then it goes three lane, four lane. And suddenly you've got this glorious open road ahead of you, this freedom to drive. Paul's understanding of the gospel is that, not that. It is freedom, not restriction. You see, God's plan, God's purpose for this world is so magnificent. You see, the promises that God has made to Abraham are promises that were designed not just for Abraham, not in this narrow little, oh, let's be a single lane Abraham road, not in that sort of narrow uh, little thing, <laughs> going mad, and... Um, 
But his promise to Abraham was always designed to open and to open and to open into an expanse. That's what Paul thinks the gospel does. So even when God made his promise to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm choosing you. Oh, it's a bit restrictive. No, Abraham, because I'm choosing you so that blessing might come to you and to your descendants and through you to all the nations of the earth. You've got to understand the gospel goes like that. But the people who've come into the churches in Galatia want to make the gospel go like this. They want to add more layers. They want to close off lanes. No, you can't drive in that lane. No, no, actually, you can't be there. No, you can't do that. They're closing off lanes all the time, and it's becoming more and more restricted. That's what we're going to try and unpack a little bit, and we're going to see why that is such a disaster. So with all of that stuff, we're now going to move quite quickly through these rather complicated verses. So it all starts with Abraham. Let's have Abraham. There he is. And in verse 21, Paul asks this question. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, who are they? You who want to be under the law. Okay, put your hands up this afternoon if you want to be under the law. How many people go, I love the law? We read this and go... Who in their right mind would want to be under the law? That doesn't sound very... But Paul says there are a bunch of people in Galatia who want to be under the law. Why? Because there is a group who want to be under the law. There is something that feels good about being under the law. Let me explain. There are some clubs in London... Private clubs where you can't just walk in. Like the Hurlingham Club, for example. I don't even know what you have to do to be allowed into the Hurlingham Club. But there's restrictions, right? I can't just walk in. I got thrown out of one of these private clubs the other day. I was allowed, I was taken in. Honestly, this happened to me. I've never been so humiliated in all my life. I was taken into this private club by a friend of mine who's a member. So I'm like, come with him. We went in, we sat down, we had coffee. And then one of the um, people came over. Let's call him a Pharisee. And he came over. <laughs> and uh, he said to my friend, he said to my friend, I'm going to have to ask your guest to leave. I was like, <laughs> what have I done? said, your friend, your, your guest is wearing trainers. I was like, well, to be honest with you, I don't really want to be here then. <laughs> and I stormed out in a huff. <laughs> Sorry. All of that to say, look, there's a kind of, there is something that feels good about being allowed into a club, right? I'm in. I've got the right rules. I know that I'm supposed to wear a jacket. I've got my jacket. I've got the right shoes on. I'm allowed in. And then we look at other people and we go, Ooh, you're not allowed in. And it makes us feel good. And it can be so tempting to be like that. I want in. So you who want to be under the law, you who want to be accepted in the club, you who sort of like the rules, you who perhaps might even say, okay, I'll get circumcised because then I'll be accepted. Then that's what I need. It's mean, slightly more costly than wearing the right trainers, right? But that's... That was part of the 
marker of what was allowed in. And Paul says, okay, so let's, let me ask you then. Those of you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Here comes his argument. And although the argument seems complicated, and believe me, there are bits of this I don't fully understand. But we'll do what we can with what we do understand, and then we've got the rest of our lives to work out the rest of it. But what Paul does is he sets up these pairs, right? And, and actually what he's doing is he's building on a very old biblical pattern of pairs. You get these pairs that come up all over the place where there are two, and one is the path of blessing, and one is the path of curse. You see this all over the place in the Bible. And that's what Paul is going to do. And there are three sets of pairs which we're going to look at in this passage. And that will then help us to see the glory of this gospel and why we're free. Okay, here's the first. And the first one's probably the easiest. And the first pairs are in verse 22. Look at it. For it's written that Abraham had two sons. There we go. Two sons. One by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. So here's the first of our pairs. There's Abraham had two sons. And his two sons are called Ishmael and Isaac. And we're told that Ishmael was the son of the slave woman and Isaac was the son of the free woman. Now, let me just quickly fill you in, just so we see the difference and the point that Paul is making. Back in the story of Abraham, which actually Mike started our service with um, this afternoon, God makes this promise to Abraham. He says, you're going to have descendants as many as the stars of the sky. It's going to be glorious. There's going to be billions of descendants that come from you and from your wife, Sarah. It's the promise Abraham and Sarah are very old. They haven't got any kids. It doesn't look like they're going to get any kids. And so they make this plan that Abraham should sleep with Hagar, their servant, their slave girl. Because if he sleeps with Hagar, then perhaps he can have a son and then they can fulfill God's promise. Let me just say it is a wicked, evil, wrong plan and action that they carry out. The Bible is very clear about that. It's a very troubling story, actually. And if you want to know more about it, I preached a sermon on it back last year. You can find it on our website from Genesis 16. But when they execute their plan, what they're saying is, God, we don't trust that you can do what you've promised, so we'll do it. We'll make sure this happens. Got it? That's what it means according to the flesh. The son born of the slave woman was born according to the flesh. That is according to... Human intention, human design, human action. So they said, we can sort this. So rather than trust God's promise, they trusted the flesh. They trusted themselves. Self-defendance, self-confidence. That's the, the child born according to the flesh. But the son born according to the promise was born as a result of a divine promise. You see, God said, no, it will not be through Hagar and Ishmael. It will not be through the slave line that I bring about my promises. It will be through Sarah. Now, Sarah was very, very old, and so was Abraham. And yet God enabled them to have a son. 
a supernatural, miraculous, by the power of the Spirit. And right at the start, okay, Paul's point is right at the start, if you want to know about the, the gospel family tree, if you want to know where it comes from, you have to understand that it comes as a result of God's power, not your effort. The family tree grows by God's power. It's down to him. Now that fits lots of what we've seen in Galatians so far. If you think that you can be part of God's family by what you do, by the acts of the flesh, by your hard work, by your impressive CV, if you think that you can do it, then Hagar and Ishmael tell you you're on the wrong track. Because the way God works is through the promise. It's something God does. It's something that he achieves, not something you achieve. So there's the first pair. But now it gets more complicated and more glorious. Because in, um, in verse 24, Paul says, these things are being taken figuratively. So he says, I'm taking this pattern from the Old Testament and I'm drawing out of it truth um, that we need to understand. And so here comes the second pair. We've had two sons, but now what we're going to see is two Jerusalems. There are two Jerusalems. Let me read it for you again so that you can hear it. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. So we can have the Jerusalems up. And so Paul says, if you follow this line, this is where you end up. Now, this is weird, right? You probably don't feel this, but this is really offensive. Because look what he's done. Now, don't worry, if, you, if, you're not very, if, you, if you're not very clear on the story, don't worry too much about this. But if you are, look what he's done. He's gone Abraham, Hagar, Ishmael, Sinai, the law, Jerusalem. Do you not see that that's weird? Do you not see that that is actually really, really offensive? Because the, the people of Paul's day who were Jewish by ancestry would have prided themselves on being children of the promise. No, no, we're from Isaac's line, surely. In fact, in Jesus' day, Jesus said, listen, listen to what Jesus said um, to, the, to the people of his day, and you'll hear very similar language. He said to them, if you hold to my teaching, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. Jesus says exactly the same thing, right? 
You think that you're descended. You presume that you're okay. You presume, well, of course God loves me. Of course I'm one of his children. Of course I'm part of the promise. And Paul says, no, Abraham, Hagar, Ishmael, Sinai, Jerusalem, slavery. What's Paul doing? Well, this is Paul at white hot anger. Controlled and right, but boy, is he angry. And he's writing them to say, How, how dare you? How dare you claim to be descendants of the promise? when actually what you're doing is restricting everyone into slavery. How dare you come to this precious church and say, you need to do this, and you need to do this, if you really want to be part of the promise. Paul says no. The direction that actually that line has gone is into slavery. And so if you make the law, if you make Sinai your key determining factor of your identity, Paul says, then you are in Jerusalem in slavery. And this fits exactly what we've already seen in Galatians. The law was given not to set you free. The law was given to hold you in slavery until Christ would come, who would set you free. And so Paul says to them, you stand in this line, this restricting, constricting, closing the lanes of line that excludes more and more and more people and puts more and more people in slavery. That's where you are. But now look at verse 26. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. What an appropriate passage for Mother's Day. Who is your mother? Jerusalem. Not the Jerusalem in slavery to the law, but the Jerusalem above that is free. Well, what the, what's that? Well, Paul, again, is just picking up on Old Testament language that we've got to go quick, but I, I, I just want to show this. This is where the expansive thing comes, right? What was God's design for Abraham, Abraham's family through Sarah, through Isaac, through the promise, through the promise was not some earthly city where it was restricted and there were walls to keep people out. It was a glorious city that was massive and had no boundaries. Look what, okay, he quotes Isaiah 54. Right? In Isaiah 54 here, in the passage, he, it, there's this strange quote, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. It's, it's a strange um, quote. But actually, as he quotes Isaiah 54, it comes in a section of Isaiah 51 to 54 that make absolute sense of why he quotes it here. <laughs> right? Look what Isaiah 51 says. I, I know this is quite hard, but um, stick with this because um, genuinely it's, it's amazing. Just look what Isaiah 51 says. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Okay, right, bang on Galatians theme, all right? You who pursue righteousness. You who want to be welcomed into God's family. And you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to your 
Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, but I blessed him, feel it, and made him many. Look at the expansiveness. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Next. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on its way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Do you see what God God is saying? There's a city, a city, but it's not just this earthly city. It's a city that the nations will flock to. A city where the nations will find justice. It's an expansive, glorious. This is the... This is the gospel story. Not a restricting, 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 but a growing and bulging out thing to this new Jerusalem, this Jerusalem that's above. Here it is again in um, Psalm 87. This is just beautiful. Listen to the city language. Listen to the expansive language. This is Psalm 87. It says, He's founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. He cannot be talking about the earthly Jerusalem. Listen to him, right? He loves the gates of Judah, Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon, right? They're the enemies. God says, I'm going to record your enemies among those who acknowledge me. Philistia and Tyre along with Cush. And I will say this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion, that's the Jerusalem that's above. It will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. There is a city, not an earthly city, a city that is above, a city that is so magnificent and glorious, a city that is the city of promise, a city where everyone is welcome, where the very enemies of God are those who have taken, and God says, I will write your name in this city. That's what Paul's excited about. This city where the The children of this city will overflow. Sarah, the barren woman, will have more children than anyone could ever have imagined. This glorious city. And you're part of that city if you come to Jesus. You see, that's the point. It's that Jesus, right? It's like the promise, the promise, the promise. And then it's that Jesus, as Jesus dies on the cross and as he takes the curse And as he rescues his enemies and he rescues us from this present evil age, he then from there explodes this city out and says, now anyone's name can be written in this city. It's so good. It's so good. And therefore, this afternoon, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, you can be part of this city. And I haven't got time to do the last little bit because we've, we've run over, and I want us to have time to, to worship. But I do just want to land this. And the thing that really matters this afternoon is that many, many, many of us have this idea that being a Christian restricts and restricts and restricts, and it cuts off the lanes. 
No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. And at any point, someone might come up to us and say, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to leave because you're wearing the wrong trainers. And suddenly you're not allowed here anymore. Or that we might find ourselves not allowed to be here. And we have this view, and perhaps we even act like it, and perhaps some of us even like it because it makes us feel special. Because it makes us feel elite. It makes us feel like, yes, this is our club. Ah, brothers and sisters, the gospel is not shaped. It is shaped. It flies out. It's so glorious. That's why Paul is so angry. How dare you restrict and restrict and restrict what is so gloriously, gloriously glorious. Don't do that. And for some of us in our thinking, even this afternoon, we think that being a Christian is small and narrow. People accuse sometimes Christians, don't you, being narrow-minded. Don't be a narrow-minded Christian. Because Jesus isn't narrow-minded. Because his kingdom and his city is glorious beyond all imagination. That's a reason to worship. That's a reason to celebrate. And that's a reason to go to every nation on earth and say, you too can be part of this city. This city which we now live in. It's not a city that one day we'll be part of. It's a city now that we belong to. And we live as citizens of this city, this Jerusalem that is above. Why don't we pray together? Um, And you can work out the last little bit on your own. Heavenly Father, we pray this afternoon that we would see, that we would see your story, the story from Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, the story of promise, the story that expands and expands, the story that would include your enemies, the story that would gather all the nations into your great city. Father, thank you that in Jesus, that's what we're part of. Thank you that in Jesus, that is the family that we belong to, that that is our family tree. So, Father, we pray that we would have nothing to do with a family tree that would seek to restrict and limit and exclude, that we'd have nothing to do with a narrow, law-based gospel, but that we would breathe and drive and enjoy the motorway of your grace, the freedom of your city. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.